loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Judy Lipson. Judy's the sole survivor of three sisters, losing her sister Jane in 1981 at age 22 in an automobile accident, and nine years later, her sister Margie at age 30, 35, sorry, after a 20-year battle with anorexia and bulimia. For 30 years, Judy suppressed her grief and in 2011 founded Celebration of Sisters, an annual ice skating fundraiser to commemorate the lives and memories of her beloved sisters and to benefit Massachusetts General Hospital. Skating is a sport the Lipson sisters shared and brought Judy full circle back to her sisters. She published articles in the Open to Hope Foundation, the Centering Organization, Grief, Healing, and Love and Loss. Massachusetts General Hospital and Skating Magazine featured numerous pieces on Judy's philanthropic work. She's appeared as a guest on the Open to Hope, The Morning Glory, Surviving Sibling Loss, Where's the Grief, Good Grief, and U.S. Figure Skating Voices from the ICE podcast. Her passion for figure skating secured the recipient of the U.S. Figure Skating Association's 2020 Get Up Award. Her memoir, Celebration of Sisters, It Is Never Too Late to Grieve, was released in December 2021. Welcome, Judy. Well, thank you, Cheryl, so much for having me. I'm honored to be with you today. I'm happy to have you and and you um, exemplify kind of a principle of the show, which is that you never know where grief will take you. Uh, people have done such incredibly unusual and remarkable things as they've navigated through grief and found ways to uh, speak about it, honor it, um, make something from it. And um, ice skating's a new one, though. I haven't had a guest who's done that through ice skating, so I'm happy to talk with you. Yes, it's a sport that we all shared, and I guess I never realized that it was a chord throughout my life that was pulling me back to my sister's. And also, I, I guess I would say from your book to yourself as well, that you loved it enough to get past your hesitations, um, you know, even including towards the end of your book, you talked about getting a head injury and um, being pretty driven to heal from that as well. Yes? Yes. Um, in uh, 2018, I fell on the ice and suffered a concussion and stitches and bruised my face and I was in my early 60s and the doctors didn't want me to skate any longer. And of course, I had celebration of sisters that I wanted to be able to skate in. And I persevered and persevered and I did get out and I'm still skating mm. at 60. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's let's go back to yeah, kind of, of more the beginning of the story, because um, what's really clear in your book is that. Uh, up until the point where, well, actually where your, your um, older sister got ill, 
it sounded like a pretty um i don't want to say normal nothing's normal but uh, but a pretty usual t- type of family relationship that the three of you had you and your two sisters you know kind of looking up to one guiding the other um doing things together various things together uh and i think i think in that circumstance you can kind of take that for granted would you say that's how it was for you when you were a kid you just have two sisters and that's great yeah i mean we were the quote i yeah i would say you know typical sisters i mean sisters fight and you know we always um did everything together and um you know, we always, my mother would dress us alike. And we used to joke, my younger sister would have the same hand-me-down dress and she'd be wearing it for five years because she'd get, you know, my hand-me-down and Margie's hand-me-down and then Jane would be wearing it. Um, she had to like what the oldest <laughs> sister had picked. Huh? Right. And, I was going to be with you for a long time. You know, and you're going to have the same dress together and, you know, um, singing, you know, in the talent show at camp and, you know, Margie, the oldest pushing to be in the middle and we'd all be in matching denim outfits singing side by side at a camp talent show. So, yeah, you know, you don't realize that, as you well know, with grief in a moment, your life can totally change. So, um, you know, and we lived in a neighborhood, you know, it was the 60s and everybody, all the kids in the neighborhood played together. It didn't matter what age you were, you know, we played hopscotch, rode our bikes, we all walked to school together and, you know, it was just, you know, a very typical 60s, you know, my mother was a stay at home mom, my dad worked and, you know, it was just that kind of a life. And we, we had similar, similar uh, childhoods, I guess, except I never had sisters. And uh, my, my wife now has a lot of sisters. There's eight of them and six of them are girls. Uh, and so I've learned a lot about sistering, which I have one brother. So it's a different type of relationship because you're kind of, uh, in a way, exposed to the same pressures as girls. Uh, my brother and I were more in different worlds, I would say. Would, does that resonate with you? Yes. And I think with girls, too, um, you know, things fester. Like you can have a screaming fight one minute and then... 10 minutes later, you're lovey-dovey-dovey. And um, there's a bond and there's an unconditional love that no matter what, even though you don't always say it, and you just can read each other's minds no matter what. And that's that's a given, no matter what the relationships are, mm. even how different you are, it doesn't matter. And so... Uh... Your your sister Margie, is it Margie or Margie? Margie. Margie. Oh, good. I guessed right. Um, Thank you. Uh, it seems to me all the concern would have gone in her direction once she was diagnosed with the eating disorder and and started having troubles. Um, I would imagine that there was less concern about you and your sister Jane. So it must have come as quite a shock when Jane was the one who died. Um, Yes, absolutely. Um, Margie had been sick and um, mental illness then in the 70s, of course, was not recognized. And um, she had been sick and critically at 
numerous times off and on throughout the 20 years. So um, when I got the call from Jane, I, from my parents that it was Jane, I, you know, my first reaction was that it was Margie. So um, I think, you know, we all kind of felt that. And um, so it was a real shock that it was Jane. And then it seems as if uh, your family sort of cued you to, for want of a better way to work it, to say it, stuff it. it does, that, does that fit as an expression that you were just supposed to not talk about it, um, show up for the funeral, but then kind of avoid the subject? Well, I think it was too painful for them to talk about it. So they didn't talk about it. So then I sort of followed suit and didn't talk about it. So, um, uh, and so when, after Janie died, Margie obviously went on a downhill trajectory. So, um, so you do of, connect those things, huh, Judy? Absolutely. That, that it contributed to Margie's not inability to recover, um, that, that your sister died? Well, she wasn't in a good place and I'm sure I'm, she and I never talked about it, but I know that, I mean, she sensed that, you know, everybody felt it was her and not Jane. So of course she felt that. And then um, she downward spiraled and then they didn't talk about it. So I stepped in as, you know, taking care of everybody. Mm. And that's, you seem to talk about that as not an, not an atypical middle child kind of thing to do as well, kind of trying to keep everything okay, huh? <laughs> well, well, that's a role that I had been taking on since Margie got sick. It's kind of like, you know, I was kind of the one who didn't cause any trouble and kind of took care of everybody and did everything. Mm. And Jane kind of had her own issues. <laughs> Um, she and I were very different, but that's okay. Um, so she kind of, you know, she was, had her challenges in wild side and all that, but, you know, she acted out, but I mean, part of that was team with that because of Margie's illness. I don't know. We'll never, you know. can never pull everything yeah. apart. Can you? <laughs> right, it's pretty right, much right. impossible. You all right. responded in your natural ways to try to deal with a difficult situation. But it's it's interesting to me what you're saying that you're not convinced that your parents were actually trying to tell you not to grieve. They just couldn't couldn't be there, especially vocally. They couldn't invite your grief. It was too much for them. You know, it's because I always also too presented the persona that I was fine because I didn't take the lead from them. I was, they were in Boston. I was in New York. I was, you know, at the pinnacle of my career and I had to just keep going. So mm -hmm. I went back to New York and just kept going. I mean, I went back and I remember walking in that first day going back and, you know, I'd always been strong. I'd always been in control and I started to shake. And mm. I know now that when I start to shake like that, that's a tsunami of tears, that that's something's going to happen. That's my, that's, that was my grief, my shaking, right, that's right. a tsunami coming. And 
um, I was in retail and, you know, you just, you didn't cry. And I think thankfully a nice coworker, you know, escorted me into his office and I calmed down, but it was, you know, the height of the Christmas season in retail and then all hands on deck. I couldn't fall apart. I had to pull myself together. And so obviously uh, that was 30 years before you said yes to your grief in a way. It, it, was, it was clear to me reading that it, it was there the whole time, but kind of in a box um, and you're hoping it won't come out in a way. So I want you to read a couple of sentences from your book that show how far you traveled from there to where you are now. Uh, would you share the, the, um, the part of your book about how you see your grief now? Sure, thank you, I'd be happy to. Um, I say grief is part of me, but I hope that grief no longer defines me. Sadly, I did lose my sisters Margie and Jane. I will always miss, miss them and have a permanent hole in my heart. My sisters are part of me, my past, my present, and my future. That, of course, resonates with me because this idea that we can just sort of close up a relationship and not and not feel it inside of us anymore has never made a lot of sense to me. <laughs> so there's a part of grief that's about claiming your right to them in in your life, in the way you look at in your at your life and what you choose to do in your life, um, that seems to capture that uh, pretty pretty well. Um, and I don't hear any wish for it to be otherwise. Yeah. Yes, and you know I think all of us that have lost siblings, when you're asked that question, how many siblings do you have? I used to kind of hold my breath and to new people, I wouldn't even, I'd say it's just me. And I wouldn't even say that I lost my sisters. Mm. And today I say on the middle of three, sadly, I lost both my sisters. There's, there's something, I think a bit healing in claiming that it's also a little complex. Um, as you can imagine, I'm often telling people that my first wife died, right? And now 26 years later, um, and having been engaged with my grief all this time, um, I get some, some reactions sort of out of kilter with where I am. You know, I have to sort of be strong in where I'm at <laughs> to deal with, with what comes back. Do you find that too, where people will kind of either be overly sympathetic or ignore what you said, or, you know, there are all kinds of different responses to that kind of statement, obviously worth it because you're claiming your own story. But um, what do you find? How do you find people respond to you telling them that? Like you said, it's definitely a mixed bag. Um, but I'm surprised that, I mean, some people are uncomfortable, so they don't say anything. Some people, say, I'm sorry, but then some people are very open and they've experienced it. And I never would have known if I hadn't been open as well. So it runs the whole gamut. So those are sort of the gifts when someone then opens up because you did. And uh, boy, if you can talk about 
deep loss, you can talk about nearly anything in my experience. Uh, I'm, I don't know if I'm popular at parties, but, <laughs> um, you know, I do find I make deep connections sometimes with people that I've just met. Yes, well, but, even the title of my book, Celebration of Sisters, It Is Never Too Late to Grieve. That could be a real showstopper, right? <laughs> right. But the, the people who are who are engaging with you about your book, uh, they come pre-prepared, right? Because you're very, you're very uh, disclosing in the title there that about your point of view. That says a lot about your point of view, because there's both the celebration and and uh, the part it plays in grief. Yeah. Yes. So. I would imagine, even though you say that you you kind of pended your grief for 30 years, I would imagine there were things along the way that probably helped prepare you to um, to dive in, to accept grief. Uh, I don't know what those things might be, but do you feel that there are kind of breadcrumbs along the 30-year path, and we're just going to barely start and come back to this after the break. But um, do you feel as if you might have been preparing to be ready for that? Um, I would, Like I said, I would get these tsunamis, like I would feel my body shake and I would break down, whether I'd be in the car. And I think I just, I didn't know what it was. And it was all building up until the 30 year mark. And then at 30 years, all these events kept happening and I knew the time was now. <laughs> you were ready to know it. Let's come back to that after the break. Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to find Judy Lipson, go to www.judylipson.org. Be back soon. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Judy Lipson about her book, Celebration of Sisters. And before the break, Judy, uh, I was I was asking you, you know, about the thirty years before you became ready, because I think so many people think there's a right way to do this, but um, I sort of uh, disagree in a sense. Like sometimes you can't push yourself to do it before you're ready. But I wonder uh, what what led you to where you ended up, if that makes sense. Sure. So as I, as I say, there's no recipe for grief. And every year on my birthday, there was always a cloud because the last time I saw my sister Jane was to celebrate my 25th birthday. So my birthday kind of like August 1st, Margie died. My birthday was October and then their birthdays were in November. So that started it. And then the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur is the memorial Yisker service. So I would go, my mother didn't go to temple with my father and I'd sob. So those were kind of like, you know, the anniversaries of their deaths. And then you have the Jewish anniversary. So Mm -hmm. every year I kind of had that. So at the 30 year mark, um, my father was dying with a neurological illness and I knew his death was going to be huge. I had a best friend who was dying of cancer And coincidentally, I ran into one of Margie's friends who said she wanted to have coffee with me. And I was kind of, and my gut reaction was no. And Mm -hmm. Margie was gone for 20 years and um, she was sick for 20 years. And this friend told me that Margie changed her life and made her go into a profession. And I just, I couldn't believe the whole thing. And with that time frame, I also ran into one of Jane's friends who I also had coffee with. And she told me that um, Jane wouldn't want me to be sad on my birthday, that she would want me to celebrate me. So all these things kind of just fell together. A harmonic convergence of events there. Exactly. And um, so I decided to do a fundraiser, you know, for my sisters and um, they were fun. I mean, they were fun girls and I didn't want to do, you know, something Boring. So I decided to do the ice skating event. And um, so the first year it was in a skating event and my father passed away a week before the event. And I did go ahead with it because it was in November, the first week in November. So it gave me something to focus on, on the anniversaries of their birthdays. And Jane also died Mm 
Jane's birthday was the sixth. She died on the seventh and Margie's birthday was the eighth. So I just needed something for me to focus on. And it, the first year there were 10 skaters, 50 people. It's now grown to be, I think I had 92 skaters, an audience of over 200 and we've raised over $75,000 for Massachusetts hospital. So, Congratulations um, on that. So it's just a wonderful event that's brought me back to them. And for the first time in my life, in my 50s, I performed and I just kind of feel like I have them on each shoulder guiding me. And it's just um, a beautiful event. And it gives me something to focus on and honor them and their friends come. And it's just kind of my way of giving back and getting through the time period and getting me through the hardest time of my grief. Mm. There's a there's a passage about the ice skating itself in your book. Would you share that? Yes, thank you. I'd be happy to. It says, ice skating brought me full circle back to my beloved sisters. As I glided across the ice, I feel free and the weight of my world lifted. I imagined Margie and Jane skating on each side of me, holding onto my shoulder. The joy at my sister's present reflected in my radiant face and fluid movements on the ice. I was able to dance away from the pain from that one moment in time. Ice skating was and is my passion, solace, and peace. Margie and Jane, I will always love you. I may just be thinking of my own experience here, but uh, you know, I, I often tell guests I just love this hour of the week. This is what I do, right, to to honor my loss, and it's such a pleasure. And of course, it's I it's always ironic because I would never have done such a thing um, without this this loss in my life, which I would never be thankful for the loss, you know. But I'm quite thankful for what came out of it. And it sounds as if you have a similar experience with the ice skating event. Yes, Cheryl, absolutely. It's our way of giving back and honoring our lost ones and um, through it, the wonderful people that we meet and we touch and that's what it's all about. I'm trying to picture 92 skaters on the ice all at one time. Uh, that's a lot, yes? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, not every, they only come on at the end for the finale and we all draw skate down the ice with balloons, not all together. We go, uh -huh. go down. We don't There's go smaller together. groupings. <laughs> I kind of like the picture in my head, but it wasn't accurate. <laughs> but it's pretty, um, when we all come together with balloons and take a final bow, it's pretty powerful. Let's move a bit to talk about you know, all those events made you clear that you really needed to um, engage with your grief. It's not that you didn't have it before, but you were kind of able to section it off. Although I was interested in what your daughter said when you started working on it, which was, um, you know, you're defined by grief, I guess she said, or something of the sort. Um, but in your countenance, you were living your life and the grief was over there. So once you realized, I really need to do something with this, uh, what did you do next and what helped the most? Well, um, there's a group called Compassionate Friends and um, 
they, you know, they have groups for parents who have lost children and they have a sibling group. And I guess three strikes and you're out. Um, I had gone, my parents had like dragged me when after Margie died and I just wasn't ready. Um, and then I went in 2005 and I guess I wish if I had just found one person that I could share and talk about this with, I never would have felt so alone that somebody who understood all this. I mean, in 2011, I started, you know, individual set therapy and I went through a lot of grief therapy. And of course I needed that individual therapy, but having others who lost a sibling who really understood when I went through. And then this past, the end of 2021, I went again and it's a grief book group because I'm an avid reader. And here I am 40 years out with my grief and some of them are just new, but there's that connection and we both share things and we can talk about things and they speak the same language. And that has been tremendously helpful to me, even though it's been years out. You know, that, that makes sense to me in another aspect too, which is that there are certain griefs that get um, disenfranchised if there's, um, you know, people tend to focus on uh, if a parent dies, the child, if a child dies, the parent. But I think that siblings often get ignored in the equation, but it's actually, you know, a sibling relationship where the where your siblings uh, live a long lifespan is the longest relationship in your life, basically. <laughs> um, so I think I got the impression from your book, you'd agree with that, that sibling grief tends to not be uh, addressed. Um, and, and to me, I appreciate what you're saying, that talking about it with other people who experience something, that's why support groups of every kind work, um, sharing experience with people. Uh, but do you agree that that sibling grief can be a somewhat ignored type of grief? They're definitely the disenfranchised group. And, um, you know, groups aren't for everybody. I mean, everybody's grief is is their own and their own time frame. And I think that um, siblings are the forgotten ones. And I think they're left to take care of everybody else. And... Um, people think that don't really understand the relationships, how strong sibling relations are. Those are people that you think you're gonna have your entire life. You never think that you're gonna lose a sibling. I mean, in the evolution, you're gonna lose a parent, but you never think you're gonna lose a sibling. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And certainly not at the young ages your siblings were. Um, for sure, if you think of it at all, well, one of us will eventually, right? <laughs> right? But that feels very unreal until you get to that uh, that point where you're, where it's you're feeling it. Right. And somebody said to me once, which was, you know, when I was like really struggling with it, they said, you know you had Jane for 22 years and you had Margie for 35 years. Some people never even had the beauty of even having any kind of sibling relationship. 
I can imagine that if someone had said that at the wrong time, it would have it, right. it would have been quite alienating. But that at the time you heard that, you actually did find it useful and comforting. It was said at the it was said through, you know, from a therapist at the time that I needed to receive it. Uh-huh. The person had good timing. <laughs> I mean, because yeah, I can understand that because if you're going through it and you're you're just feeling that immense pain and loss at that moment, you couldn't, but I was trying to work through all the years, 30 years, I felt like I wasted not doing the grief. So in that context, we were trying to, you know, for me to kind of make peace with myself. Mm -hmm. So we were going through, working through some things. And it was, for me, it was, it felt, it felt, it felt good. Not everybody else would be able to hear that. But for me, it was very... I needed well, to hear it. I do think, I do think, um, you know, gratitude and grief are next door neighbors and the balance between the two tends to change over time. If you really do grapple with the, with the pain of grief, gratitude does seem to come along eventually um, that you actually love someone enough to feel that way. Um, those years you had them, were about loving them, right? And being loved by them. Right. Yeah. Because the sisterly bond and love is is something that is just something you, you'll never forget. Hmm. Am I am I right that your children were born after your younger sister died? Yes, um, Margie knew, they knew Margie. They were, um, they were four and five when Margie died. So um, they did, you know, have, they did know her. I mean, I don't, I don't think they really remember her, maybe a little bit. I mean, they have some pictures, but um, she was, they, they did know her. They did not know. Um, my older daughter, Janie, is named for my sister, Jane. So that's pretty special. And you you consciously chose to do that. And so in some way, you did keep Jane in your life to an extent, because I could imagine naming your child after her. She must have come to mind fairly often. <laughs> I know how often you say a child's name. So maybe that's what right. I'm thinking about. But again, about. I, because I, I wasn't dealing with the grief, I sort of compartmentalize it. But now I, you know, now I do. And hmm. My sister Jane was Jane, and we call my daughter Janie. So we uh -huh. did, like we just, you kept it a little different, a little anyway. Diff a little different, <laughs> but yeah, it's very, very special. It is. And um, you know, I've I've had uh, some some guests who actively cultivate a relationship between the person who's who's died and their children you know, by telling stories. I know my, my oldest child, who's the only one of my children who has children, on certain holidays, they bake things that my mother made, you know, and she talks about them, tells stories to cultivate a relationship. But I would imagine that's tricky if it's kind of too hot to handle 
for uh, it was kind of too hot to handle for you when your kids were little? Um, it's more open now um, that I can, I'm more comfortable talking about it. And um, so I can share the stories and share the pictures. And so it's, it's opened up, you know, more communication now. As, really as nice. you say, never too late, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I imagine, uh, I know I had to put some effort when, into not being anxious about another loss with my children after losing someone so important to me. Um, and it sounds as if you were more or less able to um, not be anxious in your relationships with your daughters. Is that accurate to say? It, it is accurate. Um, somebody said to me, like, they couldn't believe, like, I sent them away to, you know, overnight camp, sleepaway camp. And I, I was, I was pretty chill up with my own kids. <laughs> <laughs> that's, well, that's, um, that's a way you did have to navigate it that actually worked, right? You, you didn't carry that into, uh, into their lives in that direct way, which of course many people do. Anxiety is so common um, after a loss, you know, anxiety about another loss. I just um, took it all on. <laughs> I just took it all on. <laughs> Why worry? <laughs> took it all on me and my life and my relationships, but no, I was pretty chill. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they got your, your uh, best self in a way, it sounds right. like. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to another break and we'll come back for, for more talk. Uh, listeners, you can go to my website, weatheringrief.com, the Good Grief host page. There's links to everything in both places. And to find Judy Lipson, go to judylipson.org. Be back soon. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. 
Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Judy Lipson about her book, Celebration of Sisters, and... um, I guess I would say, Judy, that you would probably agree that making space for your grief, doing things to honor your sisters and keep them alive inside of you, um, that actually that's that's, um, enhanced your life uh, as opposed to people think if they say yes to their grief, it's going to make things worse. Um, what, what would you have to say to someone who might, I, I remember uh, one of my sister-in-law when my, when my first wife was dying, uh, said something like, I'm never opening the, up that grief because I'll just cry forever and nothing will ever be good again, right? <laughs> that, was, that was bottom line on it. But what would you say to people who hesitate? Because it is painful. We'll, we'll both say that. Right. Um, yeah. Thank you, Cheryl. That's a very good point. Um, I think it's, you know, it, it's, um, it comes in waves. I mean, you're going to cry and you're going to la- and it's okay to laugh, but I will say the more transparent and open you are, the wonderful people come into your life and not talking about my sisters for all these years and the walls were up. Once you lower down those walls, I'm hearing stories about my sisters that I never knew and Mm. people want to share those stories with you. And they said, since I've written the book and since I've started talking and since I've done the fundraiser, people have said to me, you know, you gave off vibes that you didn't want us near you or to talk about you with the girls about you with you. So I thought that was kind of interesting. <laughs> you people could just feel, don't go there. Don't go there. Like, stay away. <laughs> and um, now that I can share them, you know, I'm a, was a very private person and just even having a Facebook page and doing this event and being out there, it's, um, you know, one of Margie's dear friends when I was out there skating and he, he did a double take and he said, oh my God, you look just like Margie. And I started to cry. He started to cry. I said, you know, that's like the biggest compliment you could give me. So 
the rewards outweigh the hard part, I mm. would say. I had I had a guest about a month ago whose son had died at 19, I believe it was. And he said, um, I crave people telling me stories about him because I won't have any new experiences with him or about him unless other people share their experiences. Otherwise, it's just a finite number of things that I experienced with him and that's it. And I thought that was a really interesting way of talking about what you're talking about, um, people sharing. Uh, that 26 years later certainly still happens with me and my and my first wife. You know, uh, somebody will tell me something she did or said or, you know, whatever. Um, it's It's very warming to me. But if someone is not willing to feel their grief, then you're you're imposing you know you're kind of um breaking their denial somehow or breaking in where you're not welcome so it's a it's a real uh it's an interesting uh collision there but before i couldn't even um like look at pictures like i was on a, a writing webinar and somebody was talking about board games and i thought about Oh my God, like that, it made me think of my sisters and I, how we used to play that board game, the mouse trap, where mm. you'd set it up and they'd all go down. Mm. And I could never think about because some woman said to me when we lost Jane, she said to me, you know, there's going to be a day that you're going to forget your sisters. And it haunted me that I was going to lose all the memories. Am I going to remember every single detail. Do I remember what Jane's favorite ice cream flavor was? No, but, but it doesn't matter. But I can pick up a picture of her and remember like us going to the Boston Common and feeding the ducks and that sparks a memory. Do I remember um, what, you know, Margie's favorite, um, you know, candy was? No, but it doesn't matter but I see us playing Monopoly on the porch. And I remember that now. So those, that's what's more important and hearing stories from her friends. And that's, that's what I remember. And that's what I treasure because like that gentleman said, we don't have any new memories. We have to hold on to the ones that we do have. It's interesting though. I think you're bringing up a good point that at first it seems like losing the person when you realize you're not remembering every detail, but, but later it doesn't feel that way. At least it doesn't to me um, because the, the nature of the connection is now not, it's more on how I feel about her than about the exact memories. I'm not so attached to that any longer. Do you find that too? Uh, you, you sound yes. very connected to them. Yes. So that sort of, um, overlays the lack of memory, right? <laughs> what is that? I think it's a Maya Angelou quote. Um, you may not remember what somebody does, but you always remember how they made you feel. Um, right. that's, that's pretty relevant to grief, I think. And the bottom line is that there's the love. Mm. And that's never going to change. Absolutely. There, there's another little piece in your book that... Um, uh, I, I had a I had a guest who was writing a book about um, grief, love, and generosity. Uh, that 
at at a certain point in grief, people want to give. Um, you know, how can they help someone else? Many, many, many people experience that. And there's a little piece in your book that I feel captures that. Would you share that? Yes, thank you so much. If by hearing my story, another person who has lost a sibling does not feel alone, we've done good. If by attending or hearing about the gala, a new skater stands up, we've done good. If an individual learns about advocating for healthcare, we've done good. If someone with an eating disorder or that person's family member or friend seeks help, we've done good. If we have brought joy, we've done good. I've, I feel that's really one of the better ways we, we can feel in a life that, that something that's been challenging and painful has, has become an act of service in some way. I know I'm pretty attached to that, but it sounds as if you look at things that way too, that um, you've made something out of your losses that is meaningful. Yes, thank you. I hope I have. (laughs) So in these last few minutes we have, let's talk about the future. Um, I don't know. I know that the pandemic interrupted your your, uh, ice ice skating um, celebration of sisters. Um, But then I think you did do it this this last fall in 2021. Will you continue to do that? Will you, do you have other ways you would like to incorporate yourself and them into your future? What, what do you see going forward? Well, we did have the grand finale um, in November of 2021, and I was going to say be done, but I am going to continue it, not as on a large scale. We're going to have an open skate, a little smaller scale skating event in 2022. Um, and then, um, I don't know, I will figure out something after that, but we are going to continue it. Not the show, but just an open space. Just, yeah, just, uh, get together and skate every year, huh? <laughs> yeah, is right. there, is there, is there a natural end point, you know, is ice skating an exercise that as long as you have legs to stand on, you can keep doing in some form for a long time? Or do you, do you think that eventually most people need to stop doing it? As long as I'm standing, I hope I can still skate. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's, you know, that's a very particular thing, isn't it? Right. To, uh, and of course, I imagine that when you made the connection that that was also a way to feel connected to your sisters, it would make it harder to give up, wouldn't it? Yes, I hope so. I mean, I'm 65, so I hope. There was a lady who's skating when she's 90, so I mean, hopefully. Hey, well, you got a lot of years left on you. Right. <laughs> way more than you put off your grief, huh? Right. <laughs> um, you know, I I, I want to end just really talking about who your sisters were because we've talked pretty thoroughly about your loss. But the way that you wrote your book had a lot to do with their personalities. 
you know, and, and particularly with mental illness, your, your sister Jane died in, in an accident, which is a little different than I notice when people die of a mental illness uh, diagnosis, anorexia, bulimia, that's what those are. Um, the person tends to get reduced, but I didn't feel you did that at all. They, they seemed like very complete people to me. And, um, you know, that neither of them was actually defined by the way that they died. Um, is that something that you, has the balance of that changed over time? Do, is there more room, uh, you know, going forward for them as people in their fullness? Um, well, I felt like sort of um, at their funerals, they were kind of cheated out of who they were. And I, looking back now, so I felt um, when we started the fund for them in 1999, the doctor said to me, you know, you really need to write and tell people about these girls. So I wanted to honor them and really let people know who they were because they're great. They're great human beings. I love them. They're my sisters and they mm. were great people. And I wanted to share them with people. So that was intentional, but they did come alive uh, for me as a reader. You know, I felt as if I knew them uh, a bit by the end. And I always appreciate that. Well, um, thank you. That's the biggest compliment <laughs> you can give me about the book. <laughs> That's wonderful because, you know, listen, I miss them. I love them. And um, listen, we all have our warts, but, you know, sister is a sister and, you know, there's a bond that's so special. I only know by observation, <laughs> <laughs> but I do, but I do believe it to be tr true that um, that is a very, very special um, bond for many, many people who are lucky enough to have sisters. I've now been married to my second wife for uh, 24 years. And so I feel pretty sisterly with her sisters and, it, and that is quite special to me. Uh, one of her sisters actually did die and I felt that grief pretty deeply. So uh, at least in my lifetime, I've been able to experience a bit of a, of a sister bond, which I'm very grateful for. So as we're closing out, I'm wondering if there's anything, any last thing you'd like to share with listeners before we, before we uh, say goodbye. Well, thank you for having me and that it is never too late to grieve. And um, thank you very much for having me. It's been a wonderful conversation. It has. It has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you. And thanks for being with me today. Um, you can, uh, listeners, you can go to judylipson.org to find the book, to find everything, whatever it is that you do next, Judy, um, I'm sure it will land on that page. So <laughs> I hope people will go uh, keep up with you. And thanks again for being here. Mm -hmm.
Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America.